there. Welcome back to Team Techies. I'm Anushka. I'm Rishima. And I'm Prisha. Today we have a very special guest joining us for our second installment of Spotlight Sunday. That's right. Dr. Bhavani Thuraisingam is here with us today to discuss her successful career and experiences with technology. She has worked as a professor of computer science and director of the Cybersecurity Research Center at the University of Texas at Dallas. With over 40 years of professional experience in both the corporate and research worlds, she has witnessed the growth of technology and has been influential in the fields of data science and cybersecurity. And on top of all of that, she's also an advocate for women and minorities in STEM. We're so excited for you guys to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, let's get started. Hey everyone, so welcome back to Team Techies. We are here for our eighth episode. Um, and today, today, like we said, is a very special episode because we have our second installment of Spotlight Sunday with Dr. Bhavani. So let's just get right into it. How are you doing? And um, you can introduce yourself a little bit. Thank you very much, uh, Anushka, uh, Prisha, and Rashima for inviting me for this podcast. I'm very pleased and very honored. And I'm Dr. Bhavani Thuraisingam. I'm a professor of computer science, actually founder's chair professor of computer science at the Eric Johnson School of Engineering and Computer Science at the University of Texas at Dallas. And I'm also an executive director of our Cybersecurity Research and Education Institute, which I founded almost 17 years ago this October. And I also uh, am the co-director of Women in Cybersecurity as well as Women in Data Science Centers at UT Dallas. So I've got a lot of work, but it's very, very interesting. So that's a very sort of short introduction about me. Um, uh, as the group was uh, were wondering, um, what about cybersecurity and data science, appeal, data science appeals to you and why did you decide to pursue it? Okay, so I'll talk about why they appeal to me and then it's quite a story when I talk about how I got into it, okay? So I've been working both at the intersection of cybersecurity and data science since uh, actually, fall of 1985, you know, well before probably when your parents were born. So uh, that was at Honeywell, right, in Minneapolis. So I'll tell you later how I got into it, okay? So, so I've had really, okay, what sort of motivates me and I'm really passionate because they are both so different in the sense, data science is something that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it applies to so many areas, right? There's so much data, so data science slash machine learning, and you've got to analyze the data. And so it can be applied to almost anything, including healthcare. And even this COVID-19, so many data science applications, uh, finance applications, marketing, retail, you name it. And because data is being gathered. And so that's what appeals to me about data science, because I really love to work with data. Now, like in my free time, what, if I have any free time, what do I do? I go and look at all the COVID data, or how many cases are there and try to analyze. I've got a little model, I plug in these numbers and it's going to tell me when the, when the peaks are going to be. So I love working with data and also analyzing the data. Cybersecurity is sort of at the other end. Whenever you develop these technologies, including data science. So by the way, data science can also be applied for cybersecurity applications. 
because there's lots and lots of cybersecurity data, attack data that's being gathered. And that attack data has to be analyzed and extract those nuggets so that we know when these attacks happened, right? So, so data science can be applied to cybersecurity as well. So at the other end, with respect to cybersecurity, any technology that you develop, including data science, machine learning, those technologies could be attacked. Meaning whenever there's a microprocessor somewhere, right, whether it be a desktop or laptop or you know, your uh, smartphone, whatever, whenever there's a micro microwave, whenever there's a microprocessor, right, that processor could be attacked, hardware plus software. And so whenever we develop these new technologies, which I really love and passionate about, you've got to worry about the cybersecurity challenges. And so that keeps me going because you are not just developing technology for technology because you are also looking at the security challenges, right? So that is why both fields really interest me a lot. Now, yes, I worked in these fields, integration since 1985, so almost a fall, almost 36 years, right, this fall. And so how did I get into it? It was really not by choice. So I've got to tell you a little bit about my background. So we moved to the US, I got my education. So I got married in 1975 when I was 20 years old. I'm a Tamil from Sri Lanka. So I finished my undergraduate degree, mathematics and physics. And so um, my husband was finishing his PhD at the University of Cambridge. And so it was an arranged marriage. So then I you know, followed my husband, University of Bristol, and I got my master's in PhD. And it was in theory of comp theoretical computer science. So we moved to the United States in 1980. My son was a baby, a few months old. And so we, uh, it was in New Mexico. My husband got a job at Petroleum Recovery Center, Research Center. And so I was offered actually a tenure track faculty position at New Mexico Institute of Technology. And at that time, I felt that I couldn't really cope in the sense, meaning that, you know, I had a baby son and then having a tenure track career and then writing, you know, grant proposals and a lot of stress until you get tenure. So then I decided to take a visiting faculty position. Once you do that, then it sort of becomes a little bit harder, right, to get a tenure track position later. So then after a year, my husband moved, we moved to Minneapolis because he worked at 3M. And then for two years, I continued to work at University of Minnesota, also as a visiting professor. And then I wanted to sort of get into industry. Well, I would have preferred to have a tenure track position at that time, but it was not easy because we were limited to Minneapolis. So I joined Control Data Corporation. It was the number three uh, computer company at that time after IBM and DEC, right? Nobody has even heard about that company. It had 54,000 employees also. In Minneapolis, it was a mainframe company. So I worked on their develop as a software developer, their first networking product called CDC Net, because here we are using Zoom and talking at that time, connecting two machines or connecting a terminal to a mainframe was a big deal. So I worked there for about two years, just over two years, and then I was getting a little bit uh, frustrated. I wanted to get back into research. And that's when I got the a lucky break, right? It was an opportunity for me of a lifetime, I think. So I was very fortunate. Honeywell, so three things had to happen. One, Honeywell had a, they had just written a proposal to the Air Force to design and develop a, one of the early high assurance, means highly secure database systems. 
And so they wanted, they were looking for someone to work on the project, but that person also had to be a US citizen. So we are talking about 1985 summer. And so uh, I had, I, I was applying. So we had just moved five years. So I was eligible for US citizenship. So I, I was planning, right, applying for the, my US citizenship. And so what happened, uh, the latter part of the summer, Honeywell interviewed me and I had to get my US citizenship. And of course, Honeywell had to interview me and like me enough, like me means, felt that I was qualified to get the job. And then they had to win the contract, right? All three came together for me to get that job. It was a research job and it was designing and developing one of the most, one of the highest assurance uh, secure systems, database systems. So that's how I got into cybersecurity from the data point of view, data security. And since I was sort of focusing on the data point of view, I was also working on other projects in data management. So at that time, it was computer security and data management. So I was there until we finished the project and then we moved to Massachusetts because my husband got a position at MIT. So we moved, moved to Massachusetts and there I worked for a federal research lab throughout uh, in cybersecurity and data science. At that time, it was information security and data mining. And then uh, in, in, January, in 2001, I thought, you know, I needed a break. So my son had just gone to college. And so I want, oh, he was in, in college. And so I wanted to, uh, so I wanted to go to Washington to manage some programs for three, for one year. So one year turned out to be three years. So I was a program director at the National Science Foundation, still working for the federal lab, MITRE Corporation in, in Boston. So at the end of the three years, UT Dallas talked to me and said, look, we want to start a cybersecurity institute. Why don't you come? And they also interviewed me. They offered me a tenured faculty position. And so that's how I started the institute. But I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, I know there may be some more questions about my career. But anyway, that's how I got into cybersecurity and data science, right? That lucky break I got at Honeywell. And then I've been working in this field for the last how many years? I think 30, almost 36 years. So I'm really passionate and I've, I've grown to really enjoy both aspects because you're not always worrying about cybersecurity attacks. You also are focusing on developing technologies, but at the same time, you're also concerned about the cyber attacks. I hope this helps. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think when, you know, as high school students, a lot of times when somebody says cybersecurity, you don't think of the data science aspect of it or the machine learning and things that you were talking about. But that's actually really cool that, you know, you can integrate those two things and do a lot of like really interesting and cool stuff with that. Thank you. And so, you, you had mentioned a lot, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, please continue. Um, you had mentioned a lot about, you know, um, how things have changed since you started your career and like to date. So um, I like, we were wondering, um, uh, you talked about some, like you talked a bit about the real life applications of data science. So do you think in today's world, like right now currently, um, had, does, data, does data science have like any greater significance or the significance of data science during the pandemic right now? Right, I think data science is data science slash machine learning, right? And AI, you know, you can put all three, but again, the heart of it is data. Yes, I mean, data science has, because remember, 
machine learning has been around for a long time, even in the 1970s, but because they didn't know how to manage massive amounts of data. Otherwise, you are really dealing with toy, T-O-Y, toy data, right? Small amounts of data. So our toy problems. But then the data management people throughout the 80s and 90s, they really worked hard to develop technologies to manage massive amounts of data. So we used to call it, you know, challenge was our big data problem in the 1990s, we used to call it massive data, was managing uh, petabyte sized data. We knew how to do terabytes, petabytes, but today petabytes is nothing. Every day, several petabytes are being collected. So now it's what, zettabytes, exabytes, whatever, it's massive data. And so now we have all of this data that we have collected and then we are applying you know, data science technologies, which are based on machine learning to analyze and extract those nuggets. So uh, what are the applications? As I said earlier, it has got applications in practically everything, right? Even cybersecurity, healthcare, medicine to develop better therapeutics, and uh, what else, tracking epidemiology, who has COVID, whatever, which, you know, which uh, areas of the country uh, are more uh, sort of have, have a sort of predisposition for COVID. So finance, you know, what investments to make. So practically every industry is interested in data science. I'm gonna come back to your question about COVID. So the thing is, uh, Actually, at UT Dallas, and we can talk about it later also, the largest program, I think, for a master's track, because we get, we get uh, lots of students, international students, and that's data science, because there's so much demand. So, and we knew, right, in this pandemic, now, even developing these vaccines, uh, you have to have a lot of data, previous data, to sort of analyze and see what works, what does not work, and which aspects are working. So, even that, I read in some article um, a, a couple of months ago that data science machine learning has helped. And also for epidemiology, you know, where is the disease spreading? And even uh, administering the vaccines, right? You've got to apply, look at all the data and see which areas need vaccines, which areas have not received the vaccines. So it's analyzing the data, not just using statistical methods, also using machine learning, because you've also got to predict the future. Right. So with COVID, I, I would say that if not for data science and machine learning, right, we may not be in the situation. Where, I mean, we are, we are in a bad situation now with the Delta variant, but also we are also in a good situation because, you know, most people today I got, you know, I listen to very good news. 70% uh, of the population have received at least one dose uh, of the vaccine, which is really very good news. But in any case, I believe that without data science and cybersecurity, sorry, data science and machine learning, I don't think we would have made all this progress in terms of therapeutics, because now machine learning algorithms are detecting, um, you know, looking at images, even for breast cancer, all the images, and they are detecting cancer that even the, the traditional techniques cannot detect. So machine learning techniques. So that's really where the future is. And so, so I think it has had a huge impact uh, on the positive impact. But again, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention also, there are also serious concerns about data science machine learning. One I mentioned is that these techniques, right? These technologies, just like any other technology could be attacked. That's my research. So I work in two areas now. One is 
applying, uh, you know, applying data science for cybersecurity, meaning that there's a lot of intrusion data, a lot of attack data. So we are applying these machine learning techniques to pinpoint where did this occur? When did this occur? What are the chances of such an attack occurring in the future? So machine learning is helping us. But as I said, these machine learning techniques and data science techniques could be attacked because the malware, the malicious people, the hackers are watching. They are trying to learn about our data science algorithms. They are trying to look at what data are we using to train these models. And what they are trying to do, once they get into our system, they are trying to corrupt our data. They are trying to thwart our models. And so if our data is bad, the models that we are developing right are going to be bad because you've got to train these models based on the data and so if these models are going to be bad then you cannot you know it's like garbage in garbage out so if the models are bad you you you, you have no confidence whether it's going to give you good results it might say that you have covid but you really only have flu or maybe oh, flu is dangerous too but you would just have a common cold and so that's why uh, and also, if your model is attacked, your algorithms could be attacked, the software itself, and it can give you a different prediction. So that's one of the areas that we are working on, and that's called adversarial attacks, right? So it's all about adversarial machine learning, and it is really a very, very, very challenging field. So that's one problem, right, with, uh, with machine learning. Just like any other technology, it could be attacked. But another problem people are concerned, and that's uh, that sort of... Uh, sort of answers your question also with COVID uh, is a privacy because now we have the capability to get a lot of this data and put it together and analyze and make those predictions, right? And, and give those nuggets. And as a result, privacy of the people could be violated because a person may not want other people to know he or she has COVID. Right, so it's better to say that people who live in a certain part of Texas, right, so Plano or Park Cities or whatever, that part of Texas, there is a higher incidence of, say, COVID, but you don't want to say that John Smith has COVID, right? But these machine learning algorithms, because earlier you couldn't analyze them, but now you can use them and analyze the data and then say that John Smith is having COVID. So the privacy concerns. So that's a negative aspect, while it has helped us with therapeutics and vaccines and whatever, but the privacy is a big concern with machine learning and data mining. So I hope that answers, I sort of a long answer, but I wanted to explain both sides. It's definitely very interesting. I think a lot of the times we don't realize um, how big and like how significant data science is. And I think all aspects of the world like I, I honestly like I didn't realize until you mentioned so many different um I mean areas of our life are influenced by data science yes right so again we are living in very exciting times mm -hmm. yeah. yeah definitely yeah and I think really interesting how you um, touched on like the negative um, impacts of technology. I think that was just the last episode that we did. It was about the positives and negatives of technology and how some people, you know, they really look at all the positives and technology is helping us in all these ways, but there are like the privacy concerns and like all of that also associated with it that should be talked about and everything. Yes. Um, adding on to Anushka's point, also I, while you were talking, I got like this question because we touched upon this in our last episode, 
we're talking about how like you know these advances in you know cybersecurity, machine learning, they kind of decrease um, job opportunities. Would you say that's like true, given that you have like spent so much time in this field? Yes, um, job. Uh, yeah, so job opportunities are unprecedented. I have to say, over the last probably ten years, right? Uh, both areas, meaning, let's talk about cybersecurity. Practically, every government agency is looking for cybersecurity people. They are saying, you know, the estimates a few years ago, like shortage by 100,000 people, but now it's so much, it could be even more. I haven't read the recent numbers because that was, because remember, as we are developing technologies, even Zoom, as we are speaking, somebody could attack our, you know, Zoom conversation. And then imagine if they publish this podcast before you do, do you see what I mean? So that's why it is very, you know, very dangerous. So, and, and here we are not even talking about confidential stuff, right? So if the companies are meeting and they are discussing confidential stuff, right? And if somebody is listening, so again, it's uh, everywhere there's technology that that microprocessor or technologies use, those technologies could be attacked, right? So that's why you need these cybersecurity people to come and look at, uh, do an analysis and then look at the attacks, um, Detect, detecting the attacks and maybe even preventing the attacks using perhaps machine learning techniques. And then the other thing with cybersecurity also risk analysis, right? Because if sort of everybody is good and there are no hackers and we are living back in the 1965, uh, right? When I was like a little girl uh, during that time, then there were no computers. You know, maybe there were some mainframes at the time but we were not using any computers. So then there was no reason to get attacked, but now it's a different world. And so more you rely on technology, the more you, you, you will get attacked. And so that's why practically every company is looking for cybersecurity specialists and also government, right? They have to safeguard all their secrets. They have to know that their systems are not corrupt, not just uh, securing the no, not just the secrets, but they also have to make sure the data is correct because you can maliciously corrupt the data. So the government jobs are sort of plenty. And that's where, that's where you need cybersecurity, I mean, US citizenship for the government jobs. Now, so that's for cybersecurity. Now, data science, practically every company is looking for, I won't say hundreds, but maybe tens of people, several tens of people uh, specializing in data science to come and analyze the data to give them a competitive edge. Because if they can use their data and use the data, even publicly available data, even adversaries data that is out there, try to figure out who is their competition, what's the best way to enhance the efficiency, practically every aspect, what are the products that they should be they should be developing, how can data science help with the design of the products. So if that's why they need many, many data scientists for practically every company is looking for data scientists. And that's why I think the demand is even more for data science because industry, it's really a huge uh, sort of business for the industry, right? So there are these data science companies, uh, you know, but the data companies, but there are practically any service like Wall Street is looking for data scientists probably UT, UT Southwestern is looking for data scientists because for developing better therapeutics. So, uh, and the government too, they need data scientists. So if you're a data scientist with US citizenship, the government will need, need the, the data scientists. Also you need data scientists 
to look at cybersecurity data, right? To analyze the cybersecurity attack data to determine, you know, where are the problems. So that's why both these fields, I believe, are going to be there for a long time. As long as we are developing technologies, there's a need for cybersecurity. In order to develop these technologies, we will need data science. So that's how I see it, right? But in order to develop data science and cybersecurity uh, techniques, you need some other areas too. You know, they, they, they just didn't come up, from, come, out, come up from nowhere, right? So what are the supporting areas? Of course, software engineering. You need distributed systems because it's not all central. So all these systems are disparate and you've got to put these systems together, these machine learning systems. So you need software engineering, you need distributed systems. Of course, you need networking, massive amounts of data to be transferred. That's why all this uh, uh, sort of excitement and uh, sort of interest now in 5G technologies, right? The networking. So you need a lot of supporting technologies to support these data science techniques as well as the cybersecurity. So that's why all of computer science, almost all of computer science, I would say is important, right? So. Anyway, so that, that's the key point I want to make. Yeah, so I think like essentially like, you know, the um, jobs are shifting. Yeah. Um, from like uh, one field to like the demand in computer science is increasing. Yes. Correct. Yes. Right. Because uh, as I said, you know, there's cybersecurity, data science, machine learning and so on. But, you know, you they are not sort of operating in a vacuum. I mean, you need software engineers, you need distributed system people, you need network, network networking people, you need formal methods uh, folks, meaning, you know, sometimes for high assurance because safety critical systems, you are using machine learning, right? To run a process control plant. And if it fails, if it's attacked, and if, the, if that system fails, the whole thing could explode, right? And our aircraft, that's also using machine learning, right? For uh, you know, for flying. And so if anything fails, either faulty system or if it's attacked, the plane could crash. So that's why formal methods, formal verification, testing, software engineering, all of that is going to help you with your data science, machine learning, cybersecurity. So they're all sort of intertwined. Yeah, and I think the whole like, um idea of like technology being and like data science specifically being important in like all industries and all aspects like I see it my brother is a, um, a I think he's a rising senior at UT Austin he's majoring in computer science and yeah. so like he has friends um, who are doing like biomedical engineering or like medicine but they'll do like some of them will do data science internships because there are like those connections with that. And I think, you know, that's really cool. That's why for me, computer science is so appealing or just any technology like field is so appealing because you can really do, you can really explore your interests within that as well. Right. Can I, can I say something? It was a very good point that you raised, right? So, you know, I don't know whether you were going to ask me this question, but, but maybe I can, since you have brought it up. Um, so, okay, so you can be sort of pure computer scientist, meaning just focusing on data science and then focusing on, you know, cybersecurity and so on and do very well. But you are, you have to apply to some application because data science is, you know, you're you are gathering data. That data could be financial data, that data could be healthcare data. So you need to understand the domain knowledge to some extent. 
Of course, you can work with domain specialist people. You can work with medical doctors and healthcare researchers and nurses. They are the domain specialists. But if you have no clue about what the domain is all about, then you may not be able to effectively apply or develop those data science techniques. Similarly, if you are working in finance, right, you need to understand about the financial models a little bit, not too much really, but somewhat, because you're working with financial specialists anyway, they will tell you, but still you need to understand what they are talking. Otherwise, you know, they may think that they are speaking English, but you may think that it's, it's Greek or something. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you need to have an understanding also the domain that you are working, right? So you need to have a thorough understanding as a computer scientist, what computer science is all about. But as you said, uh, while they do the internships, like in your brother's case, right? While they are doing their internships, they are going to learn about the, <laughs> about the domain. And so as they learn about the domain, they are going to get, you know, be, get more specialized. So then they can just sort of marry the two, their data science and then their, you know, healthcare. And similarly, even cybersecurity, when you're applying cybersecurity techniques, uh, you are thinking about a particular domain too, right? What are some of the challenges that could occur in healthcare? Although it's not as strongly sort of connected with the application, you need to have some understanding. But with data science, you are really sort of sol trying to solve an application problem, right? So when you are saying data, data doesn't come from nowhere. Data is tied to a specific application even when you're talking about analyzing student data right who is which segments should we target that means we are talking about the student application so education you know so the application is education so it's very intertwined with the with the application areas so i hope that that sort of sort of answers not your question your comment sort of <laughs> enhances my answer enhances sort of your understanding yeah definitely yeah, yeah. And going back to like your, your career and everything. Um, so why did you decide to leave like the corporate world? Like you said, you were working at Honeywell and everything um, to go back and like doing more research. Right. So remember, I wanted to remember that 20, um, 40 years ago, I got an opportunity, right? My plan was to, you know, I wanted academia for a couple of reasons. I love teaching. I love teaching students. Uh, all levels, right? So undergraduate, graduate, PhD level, even professional, and now even high school students. So I haven't taught, you know, elementary or junior high school. So I love teaching. And then I also like to explore things. So I have been doing a lot of teaching, like adjunct faculty when I was in the, at Honeywell at University of Minnesota. And when I was at MITRE for two years, I was also an adjunct faculty at Boston University, uh, the Metropolitan College. And so, so that gave me an opportunity, but again, those were the teach, but then being, you know, teaching the students, uh, sort of being a regular teacher and educating students, I'm really passionate about. And the other thing is the research too, because when you are working in a company, you know, you have lots of opportunities for research, especially, you know, Honeywell job, as well as MITRE Corporation, the federal lab, you know, a lot of ex ex exciting research. But again, you don't do research for the sake of research. It has to be strongly tied to the application. So Honeywell, when you are on a government contract, it's different because you do the work what the government wants you to do. But then when I was at Honeywell, I also did a lot of work for the 
control systems division. So there's industrial automation, building controls, residential controls. So I was applying, developing the data management. Remember that time it was data management. Data management techniques for these applications. And so again, when I was at MITRE Corporation, if you do a research project, then pure research project is great. But if you are working for a sponsor, Air Force, Navy, Army, whatever, in the end, their question is, how is it going to help my mission? Which was great for me, okay? Because I really liked doing that. But then when I went to NSF for three years, because I wanted sort of a break from, that was in the year 2001, 20 years ago, around this time, September, I mean, October 1st, then I started interacting with a lot of academia, the professors, because we are funding them. I was reading the proposals they were writing. And then I said, you know, I really want to go back. Always I was thinking eventually maybe I should go back into academia. And so also when once you are tenured, you are pretty much free to, you know, choose your own research area, right? As long as you can find good students. And so that's when in 2004, fall, when this opportunity came, I thought, you know, let me try academia and see. And so moving from Massachusetts, Washington to Dallas was sort of a very strange experience for me, you know, like I think was it Prisha, right? We moved from California to Dallas, very different. So uh, after, when I came here, the next day I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do? My husband said he was in Boston. You've already, you know, committed. So stay at least, you've got to stay there for one year. And then one year turned out to be five and five turned out 15. Now, so almost 17 years, I re I'm really enjoying. Because we also sort of get to work with industry too, because our grants, we write proposals to, uh, of course, uh, federal agencies. And unless it's NSF, everything else is tied to application. And then when we work for, we write proposals to industry, and then we try solve industry specific problems. So I can do now in academia, what I did at Honeywell or at MITRE Corporation, more or less, not entirely, I can do a lot of the things, right? Uh, sort of customer specific research, but at the same time, fundamental research as well as teach students. And so I think, I think it's really a great way to sort of, um, sort of I'm, I'm planning to work for another 10, 15 years, hopefully, but it's a great way to sort of, uh, you know, especially as you have a lot of experience, it's a great way to you know give to the community like the students what you have uh, you know learned and also as a career right it's a great great way to end one's career is what i'm saying so that's uh, so that's probably one of the main reasons that i moved to academia full-time academia from industry but industry also gives you i mean Sometimes I think, should I go back to industry? Or maybe it's too late now. So I, because it's some new challenges, you can also start working on some new problems because remember things are changing so much. So you can work on some new things when you are in the, you know, when you are with the industry, new problems. So both have their advantages. Yeah. Yeah, I think as high school students were always told like, oh, like if you go into computer science, you have to be a software engineer and work in like, like Microsoft or like Google, Facebook, or like Apple. But I mean, like just looking at like you and like a, a bunch of other like, you know, prominent people working in the field of technology, it's like really like cool and refreshing to see that um, there's other pathways that you can take. You don't have to just work in an in industry and, you know, research is also an option. Becoming a professor is also an option. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And something quick. 
with the industry, I think you 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 sort of keep up with technologies a lot more quicker, especially industries like you know Honeywell and Mitre and so on, government industries or commercial some commercial companies, uh, because you are really you need to look at what they are doing, what are web services, what is this, what is that. But when you are in academia, you can because you're so involved with your research. If you're not careful and look at what others are doing, what the companies are doing, you can really get very limited. So that's why you need to really have an open mind. And that's where I think my industry uh, experience has helped. Because mm -hmm. I, can, I feel that I can see things maybe sort of more clearly and not get sort of bogged down in my own area of research, which has some advantages and disadvantages. Because if you're really deep into your area, your research, then maybe you can produce some better results. So anyway, both have advantages and disadvantages, yeah. Um, and, you know, since you were talking about like how these technologies are changing with time, we were all wondering like um, you coming here and like how did you see technology develop? Because like I'm pretty sure like, you know, when you were learning computer science, it was theoretical. So like, you know, there probably weren't, wasn't like, you know, an actual computer for you to learn from. Yes. The, yeah, I, I did some programming courses though when I was in college. I took a Fortran, you know, undergraduate, my Fortran programming, right? And then when I was also doing my grad work, I did a little bit of programming here and there, but it was mostly complexity theory, complexity of, you know, uh, computing problems. And so, and then I really got into practical computer science. So I really had, you know, probably around 38 years now of these uh, practical computer science work, you know, software development and so on. But even that has changed. When I joined Control Data Corporation, or even before that, when I was with the, uh, you know, doing my undergraduate and my grad work, when you have to write a program, especially when I was in undergraduate and grad, early grad school, we had to go to the computer center, punch cards, and then they give it, I don't know what they do, and then they give us the results, okay? And so that, that's what I was used to. And then at Control Data, we were working with mainframes. So I was developing this technology to connect two mainframes, a Cyber 170, Cyber 180, and connect the terminals to a mainframe, the networking. And so that was that was a brand new thing because IBM had got their networking product, DEC had gotten their networking product, and so we were now developing a uh, networking system. So at that time, we also had mini computers, like DEC had their mini computers, IBM and Control Data had mainframes, and then I believe DEC also had its mainframe, and then Apple had come up with their, not laptops, the desktops, right? So that was sort of a big thing for us. And then came, you know, so many things, databases, because early part databases were sort of just beginning and then came Oracle and all of the database technologies and different types of operating systems and different types of networks. And then by 1991, there was a World Wide Web and we didn't really, I didn't really pay as much attention. I knew all, I was following it, but I really got into sort of web technologies, I would say 92, 93. And then 95, I think most people were sort of, you know, familiar with the web. We did have Google at the time. I used to use a search engine called Alta Vista and Yahoo. Okay. And then, uh, then came Google. I mean, the 95 to 2000 was just such a, you know, it was the dot-com boom and it was such an exciting time, right? Then after two, then we had these web services and in the 2000s, we had cloud and then machine learning started booming. Of course, came data science. And then what else? The cloud. And then came the smartphones, right? Yeah, iPhones and 
Android. And then since then it has been, you know, so technology and IoT systems, now your refrigerator is connected to your, to your what, your car, to your computer, to your uh, television. It's very dangerous. Imagine sometimes I wonder when I'm staying in my, you know, in my, uh, I, I have a sort of, sort of partition this room into different pieces. And then there's this camera right there. What if the camera is, uh, they always tell proper cyber hygiene, actually put some gadget, I mean, to, to uh, you know, switch the camera off and you're not using it. You don't know who is hacking the camera, okay? So, so what I'm saying is it's great that we have all these technologies, but it's also very scary, right? Because of the cyber attacks. And so that's why we are living in a, on the one hand, we are living in a very exciting world, right? With all these technologies, everything is so easy. Look at you and I, you know, we are all in our homes and talking, but then it's also a very worrying situation, the malware, the cyber attacks. And I gave two interviews recently. One was, um, I can't remember, to some magazine. And then the other was to the Legal 500. They're all very interested about ransomware, right? Just very briefly, we have no solutions yet because the malware, the hacker can get into your system and he or she or it can encrypt all of your data. And then you are really crippled. Massive corporations are crippled without their data. And so what do they have to do? They have to pay the ransom you know, through Bitcoins. They pay the ransom. So because remember, we are using very strong keys now, AES-256. Nobody has broken that. Unless you get quantum computing works, it can be broken, but I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. So the challenge we have is that if they have encrypted, we cannot break the key. I mean, we don't have the key to, uh, to uh, decrypt and we cannot break the code. We have no choice but to pay the ransom. Quantum computing could decrypt it, but then we will have no security. So either way, we are in a terrible bind. So I really don't know what's going to happen to that, but just a, sort of a side thing I wanted to mention, yeah. And I mean, all of that is very interesting. It's very interesting because um, you know, the three of us we are um, we're relatively young, like we're just in high school, but um, we talk about this a lot. Even in our lifetimes, like we've seen technology grow so much. So it's very interesting to hear how it was like 30, 40 years ago, and still like everyone, even back then, thinking about the possibility of like you know today it could be like this. Yes, I mean that's very interesting. It's always very interesting to hear about. Right, right. I mean, so so many wonderful things happening and so many challenges. Yeah. And then yeah. the other side of it, like the so many negatives as I mean, potential right. negatives as well. Yeah, exactly. And going off and like what Prisha said, I think, you know, um, our parents always like remind us like, you know, they're like my dad is an engineer, but he didn't grow up with a laptop. And so he he always makes sure that me and my older brother are very appreciative of like all the technology that we have, all the access to the Internet that we have. You know, we got to learn coding and like like ninth grade. So it's pretty young. And I think, you know, it's definitely going to create a lot of like it, it creates a lot of opportunity for us. But like you said, with the negatives and everything of it, that's also something to be careful about. Yes. Yeah, just one quick thing, lots of opportunities, but there are also challenges because there are so many people are doing that, right? It's more competitive now. There are so many opportunities, it's competitive, but it's still, it's still great, right? When I was coming, there weren't as many opportunities, but it wasn't as competitive either. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Although I thought it was competitive, but now compared to what's going on now. Mm -hmm. Yeah competitive and like ever-changing because my dad will also tell me as well like 
um, when he was in college and studying computer science, he explained to me like how he had to give his, like his labs, like his final um, exams for computer science. And I like, I don't remember exactly what he was saying, but I couldn't understand like, um, it, it wasn't like what we were, what we do today in our exams for our labs. Right, you can just stay at home and do whatever you, you're, you're programming, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go somewhere to to uh, get a terminal to write your programs. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, everything has changed. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also for like you know, um, we took a uh, Prisha and I took a computer science class this year that like the final exam we had to write out our code rather than typing it. And so like I, we were complaining about that. We we're like we don't get a computer, like we don't get an IDE to like type out our code and like make sure it works and everything. But like like thinking back to like like um like like people like in before us and everything like they didn't have access to a computer at all they had to like write their code or find some other way to like do it and i think you know right like yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah so so much is happening yeah mm -hmm. so um you know where the three of us were high school students were interested in um pursuing stem and computer science technology is very interesting to us and there are many other high school students like us as well so we were wondering um what can high school students who are interested in pursuing computer science do right now to help them explore the field and the many, many sectors there are in, within it? Yeah, it's, it can be very daunting because so, again, so many opportunities, right? What do you all want to specialize? First of all, you must have a passion. Okay, just don't do computer science for the sake of computer science, right? Because it's a highly lucrative field. But you can develop a passion because it's so much fun to do things and see it working, right? And so that's important. And then I would say the first few years, just focus and learn when you are say undergraduate, right? Focus and learn and get deep and understand what is it, not just data science, cybersecurity, sort of the fancy areas, understand about software engineering, what are networks, understand how the operating system works, understand about databases, compilers, the basic things, and then see which one's interesting. Of course, you also want to think about what is the what are some of the hot areas too, right? Because you don't want to, you know, sort of work in like what I theor theoretical computer science and then find that it's hard to get harder to get a job, right? So, and then also look at what is the area? Is it cybersecurity? Is it data science? Is it sort of five G or is it uh, software engineering? They're all kind of great areas to be. And then you can sort of focus in your junior senior year those techniques. And I mean, those uh, this specific area. And then when you are doing your master's, I would say, you know, then you have to get more specialized, right? You can decide is a master's in computer science with cybersecurity, computer science with data science, or data science, cybersecurity, and computer science, whatever, then you can specialize. And then try to also, when you do your internships, then try to learn the domain. So that's the domain part is what, do you want to get an internship and learn the domain? What happens? You learn one domain and then go and work in something, some other domain later. So, and that domain, I mean, there, there is there is a need in all applications. So maybe something that you are passionate about, right? You may want to do things in healthcare. Some other people may want to do things in finance. So it'll be nice to get some, if I were to do it now, I would get some sort of a certification, healthcare, or some finance certification, take a few courses, and then you can apply your data science. So that's sort of master's. I think it's really important to get a master's degree, especially you know, if you want to you know, get jobs in the industry. Then you can decide, 
do you want to do a PhD? Because that's a huge commitment. I'm really glad I did my PhD, even though it was in theory at the time, because that has opened a lot of opportunities for me now, right? Uh, now I, I was able to switch to academia because I had a PhD, I had some very good publications. So you need to really have a strong commitment and be interested in research. But I always tell my students, because many of them want to stop at master's and then go on to study. I mean, they want to get a job. I'll say, okay, again, the time commitment, right? After master's, maybe they'll need another three more years at least, after two years for the PhD. So I tell them that once you have a PhD, you can set sort of, it's something that you can bank on, right? You can sort of leave it in the bank and then you can go and work in the industry and then use it when you want to because some government jobs, they look for PhDs. So I tell my students, get it, because if you don't have a qualification, you cannot say you have it. But if you have a qualification, if you don't want to, you don't have to say it, right? So that's the advice I give my students. So I hope this helps. Uh, you know, what are some of the areas that students have to, you know, should focus on? But I'm, I'm telling you, there's always going to be opportunities and with things changing, it's such an exciting field. I, I feel so grateful that you know, I've been having, I've been offered these opportunities to, to focus on and work in these areas, right? That is definitely very helpful advice. Um, yeah. you know, like for me, especially, and I guess for all of us, like this field can seem like very daunting and very, like it's cha rapidly changing. So you really don't know what to do or um, where to start. So yes, that advice yeah. was helpful. Yeah. And, you know, all girls and doing this, that's just fantastic. Now, yeah, when I first got involved in computer science, I like, you know, I thought it was a very limited field. So like, because I'd just seen growing up, like growing up, I'd seen like engineers and that was kind of it. Like, you know, it's like my dad's a software engineer. So I'm like, that's also a field. But as like, you know, I took my course this year, I, I, I got to find out there's cybersecurity. There's like, you know, other, um, there's like, there's ways you can like take two majors and like put them together for like a double major, like art and computer science and become a graphic that's designer. That, that's exact interdisciplinary, right? Computer science with something, that'll be fantastic, right? Computer science should be a basic because you need to really learn to program and so on. And then with some political science or computer science with healthcare, computer science with finance, with art, right? So it can be, it's a, it's a it, they call it CS plus X. X could be healthcare, X could be music, X could be whatever. Okay, and the CX. So that those are the degrees that, that are being offered now, the CS plus X. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. like, yeah, it's like, um, like, like we said, like those jobs aren't necessarily talked about at, you know, our age. You know, everybody just says, oh, go like software. And that for me, at least, like that was something that was like, oh, but like, what if I don't want to be a software engineer? Is this like field limited? But like, as I like researched, I like, talked to more people, learned about it more. I realized there's so many, you know, um, pathways so many things that you can do so many things that you can integrate um like if you have multiple passions like Rashima was saying like art and computer science so that's definitely like um something that's really appealing and interesting about the field yeah mm -hmm. but um going with like the last question so what programs does UTD specifically have for like middle and high school students interested in pursuing computer science or technology right we have many we have summer camps k through 12 right mm -hmm. so as we speak, uh, maybe it's past five o'clock. So summer camps are going on, right? Sometimes, you know, like now we are all at home, but when we were, you know, work, really working at work, 
in the offices. Summer means full of children, probably hundreds. I'm not exaggerating. And they are as small as, you know, K through high school students. So they take different courses. We also offer cybersecurity. Then we offer several other courses for the students. So it's really great to see them. And they are so more robotics. Of course, that's something they really love because they can see all these robots. I can see students walking around with their robots. And so right now I have nine students who are taking their, you know, taking, doing their internship with me. And so we meet every Fridays and they are doing, some of them are doing papers, some of them are doing projects, programming projects. So I've had a lot of experience now, this actually this past while working from home during the pandemic. Before that, I used to go and talk to high school students, but I didn't have more close connection, relationship, right? Working with them. And so now, of course, we had to go through all our clearance processes to work with the minors, which we got under 18s. And so now I have, you know, uh, so anyway, I really enjoyed working with them because, you know, they are really doing some cool things. So then the whole question, is it good to start that's the thing that I'm always thinking about. Is it good to start these children at a younger age or should they wait till they are a little bit older? When I say a little bit older, maybe junior high, right? Or should they start at K? I don't know, I'm reading different articles. Some say when you start at very young age, they get so, uh, so engrossed in doing, you know, programming and robotics, they may not learn their math or they may not learn their science or history or geography. So that's what I don't know. You know, do you start them at a very early age? But of course they'll have an edge if you start at a very early age. They might supersede all their all their colleagues when they are in high school and, and college, right? All their colleagues or other children. So that's something I think, you know, it'll be nice to talk to those who are sort of specialized in education and really teachers. What do they see? And something I'll be quite interested in in pursuing further. And then one other thing I wanted to also mention, girls in computer science. As I said, I work in women in cybersecurity, women in data science, and, you know, girls can be as, they are as good as, as boys. I mean, there's no difference, really. They're both, you know, there are very good girls and boys who thrive and do very well. And there are also some who don't maybe don't work hard and they are not, they may not be as good. But I don't see a difference between girls and boys once they are really into it. But I see that girls are sort of more reluctant to get in. And I don't know whether it's peer pressure when they are in schools, right? They want to work with other girls and many of the other girls are not going. It's like, you know, if your friends are not doing something, it's not cool for you to do it. Do you see what I mean? So that could probably be the reason why more girls are not sort of, although it's increasing, not getting into, you know, the STEM fields, especially technology fields, engineering and uh, engineering and, com and computer science as much because they think that, oh, these are fields where, you know, it's for guys who, you know, probably sleep at the office and do all the work, but now we are all at home working, right? So I think girls can do as well, but it's probably the peer pressure that they don't see many of their friends doing it. But I've been in all girls setting at women in cybersecurity, almost all girls, right? Mostly, there are a few men too who come, like women in computing or women in data science, probably 90% are women. But then they, I can see them bond and talk and discuss all these challenges. And look, three of you all are work, I mean, working together. So I think, you know, because all of you all are interested, 
and then y'all can do as well as any man, any boy, okay, in high school. So it's just cultivating the interest. And I don't think, I don't, I think it's more the peer pressure and maybe parents are not, uh, because, you know, I come from a family, all girls, and, uh, you know, I don't have daughters, but I come from a family, all girls, so my parents really motivated us. And then I don't have daughters, so I don't know whether I'll, you know, treat uh, children differently, which I won't, because I want the daughters also to, you know, be very good with technology. So it's just that I think partly maybe parents and and also a lot of it, I think, is the peer pressure, right? They want to be cool with their friends. And so that could be also the reason. But girls, I mean, it's a even wonderful. Okay, I always tell girls something, please, uh, I tell students because I talk about, I talk at Women in Data Science. I, I just sent my, uh, my, I mean, my keynote address on women in services, cloud and services computing. And so I talk about the top 10 reasons for a career, either in data science or cybersecurity or services computing for women. And I always tell them, of course, you need to be passionate, which is very important, but having a high paying job is a must for every woman, right? Because with financial stability, if you, when I say high paying job, I mean, you can get any job, but you may not have the financial stability when you have lower pay. And computer science pays quite well. So if you have a high paying job, then you have the financial stability, right? And with that, right, you, you sort of stay in a marriage. Now I've been married for 46 years, but then you stay in a marriage because you want to, not because of financial reasons that you are staying in a marriage. Do you see what I mean? And so that is really a must for every woman. And I keep telling that again, over and over again to female audiences and they all, you know, feel very, I think I'm, I, I get the feeling that they get very encouraged and motivated, you know, to get into technology and computer science. Yeah. So I hope this was helpful. Yes. Yeah, it definitely was. I think, you know, um, I remember participating in some of those like UTD summer camps that they did for like, um, like, like you said, from K to 12, I think I did one sponsored by State Farm, the all girls like, yes, yes, like, yes. And that that was like really empowering for me to see like, there's so many like women who are interested in computer science. And they brought when I did, I think they brought some like um, people from State Farm to speak at it. So I think that was really influential for me to like, actually, like, like really consider this field and really like consider going into it. Um, but you know, I did like the, I think they have a web, web development program as well, like summer camp. So I did those, those were, I think um, for me, I think something is like in high school or in middle school, sometimes we don't have a lot of exposure to computer science, but I think through these programs you're able to get it. So I think that's um, really cool. And, you know, as well with the girls thing, just having a community and having, you know, people that you can look at as role models is really important. Right. And one thing to check out when you all go to, you know, college and do hopefully computer science, uh, look at women in cybersecurity, women in data science and try to participate in those programs because it sort of brings these women together and uh, that really sort of they all encourage each other, motivate each other. Even for me, I have a strong support group in, 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 the, in the US and in the world and most almost all of them are women and we support each other. I mean, there are American women, there are European women, Italian women, Asian, you know, Chinese women, Indian women. So we all sort of bond together and support each other. So that's something uh, that's something that I find very, very useful. So as girls, I think you really need to develop that network, 
Mm -hmm. Right, so it's getting less and less difficult, right? But you know, but it's it's really important, right? So, anyway, anything else you want me to talk about, or um, I like this all has been you know very very helpful. Um, I know like as a as a young girl, like in even like middle school, high school, like even now, sometimes like you you don't see. Like Anushka said, you don't get very much exposure to computer science. Sometimes you don't understand the real life applications of it or how it yes. will be used um, in the future. Um, and like as an elementary school student, I was always like, I, I mean, I didn't know like, you know what I wanted to do, but I had this thing fixated in my mind. I don't want to do computer science because I always felt like, oh, you know, there aren't you know many girls in computer science. It was kind of, you know, discouraging um, if I think about it. So um, if you had, if you were to give a piece of advice to um, uh, any young girl in elementary school who is, who is interested in computer science, but, you know, is feeling discouraged, um, what would you say? Okay, that's, that's sort of the toughest question because, you know, so I'll, let me tell you, okay. So, right, so if the, student is feeling discouraged, right? The main thing is to get out of that sort of a, is it a rut or is a neg negativity, right? So it's really important first step is, you can't say, no, it's really great and so on. So you, that student, that child or elementary school, you know, that girl has to, or even boy has to get out of that negativity, right? So try, okay, try to find a mentor. You don't know how important a mentor is. A mentor, someone you trust. Of course, parents could be mentors, but you know what, pair between parents and children, or you know, it's really, it's really hard, right? So try to find a teacher, someone who can motivate, who can mentor you. Maybe you know, someone like your older sibling. Which is once you get your mentor, then hopefully you can get sort of out of the rut, and hopefully there'll be someone like me to then motivate and guide you and then talk about what are sort of the exciting sort of opportunities that you will have, technology and, in, and also in terms of in, uh, sort of, you know, uh, improving your mind because, you know, knowledge is power. So with computer science and there are so many new things you learn, right? Because you can increase your memory by learning new things. And so discuss that and then talk also about the opportunities and the financial aspects. So it comes as a complete uh, sort of package because you need to get out of the negative feeling. So that's really important. And once you sort of get out of the negative aspect, then what you need to do is to then start sort of focusing on all the positives, right? So encourage and then join with various other girls. As I said, Girls Who Code is a very good opportunity and there are so many that's the one that I, I sort of work and there are so many other groups too and and motivate of course after doing everything if you are still discouraged then you know you need to you know you, you shouldn't force someone to do something that the person the child doesn't like but I think with all these things you can get really you know really motivated so all the opportunities so I think I hope the parents uh, sort of understand but again, it's, it's hard, right? When you're a parent, you know, you, you can get anxious too. If the child feels negative. That's why sometimes it's always good for a teacher because teacher is not as emotionally sort of involved. 
right, with the child as much as, say, the parent is. And so the importance of having teachers who are mentors. So again, I talk a lot about why a career in cybersecurity or computer science for a woman. Then I also talk quite a lot about, um, you know, mentoring, the role of mentoring. It's not just as a child, as junior high, high school and college. And even, you know, at my age, it's always good to have a mentor because I have a colleague, she's uh, in a different university. She's probably around 50, 15 years younger to me. She's around 50, but she has some very good things to say to me, right? So although I'm 15 years older, I mentor her and she mentors me in certain things. So mentoring has to be throughout your life. And even for you all, my, my advice to you, not just support group is important, always find a mentor, right? So I do a lot of mentoring work also at uh, UT Dallas, mentoring junior faculty. So that has been sort of also a very strong point, right? Yes. So it does that answer your question? Was it, I think, was it, is it Prisha or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prisha asked that question. No, Rishima or Prisha? I did, but definitely. Yeah. Does answer my right. question. So, and again, I think there are so many, you know, wonderful opportunities, you know, in front of you. And again, you know, you're also fortunate because you got parents, right? You said many of you all said your your father is in your father's in technology. So, see, my parents were not college educated, so they couldn't. Although my mother was in a first year college in math and chemistry, so she was able to sort of motivate me and help me a lot in, in mathematics, especially. And so I think, you know, so y'all are already, y'all have a head start. In a way, I had a head start because of my mother, right? Mm -hmm. So so I think, you know, it's brilliant futures, but never get discouraged. We all get discouraged sometimes, right? Even at my age, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're five or whether you are 95. So, so you always have to find that mentor, find people to talk to, so, and, and get motivated. That's really important. And then, and the future is really, you know, if you all work hard and, you know, you know, be motivated and take uh, advantage of all the opportunities, the future is extremely bright. But of course, there are unexpected challenges. You know, life has so many, you know, unexpected paths, right, and challenges, but there are so many opportunities. So you've got to always look forward. Every morning when you wake up, please look forward to all the great things out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah. and finding that like community or like that mentor, I think, you know, it, it is very important. I think, you know, especially as girls um, interested in pursuing computer science, we, you know, a lot of our teachers are male at, you know, at the high school level, a lot of the teachers are male. And then, you know, when we look at like the CEOs or like things, a lot of them are male, like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, you know, yes. it's hard to find that like female, you know, role model to look up to and like, look to and say like I can still do this like it doesn't matter what gender I am or anything um and I think like you are very inspiring in that sense but like you know Prisha and I actually created a girls who code club at our school this year so I think that's really helped you know not only for us to find a community but also for the, the members of the club to like see that you know there's other people out there doing things um that you know they want to do as well so if you want me to talk, as I said, last semester, no, not last semester, in the fall, right, in November, I talked to girls who code, I think that must have been Alan, then I also talked to a group in Frisco, and mm -hmm. that girl from Frisco was my, uh, all of spring semester, January to May, May June, I think, 
she was uh, my student working on risk analysis. She did really well for cybersecurity. And so right now I've got students from my nine students from Allen and Frisco and Plano uh, school districts. And so I'll be happy to come and I mean, a Zoom talk, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who knows what's going to happen in the fall? But I'll be happy. Y'all are going to school, right? Y'all are going yeah. to face to face. Yeah, going to be in person for all three of person, us. Right. So I'll be happy to give a Zoom talk or if things are better, maybe even an in-person talk because I'll be teaching on Fridays. Mm -hmm. So the courses I teach are, you know, big data security and privacy and analyzing and securing social media in the summer. And then in the spring, I'll be teaching secure cloud and IoT systems. So. Yeah, we would love that actually. You know, we've been really thinking about trying to have more like people who are interested in computer science or working in the computer science field, especially women coming and talking to our members to really um, inspire them and motivate them. So anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and if there's any other question or something, please, you know, drop me an email. And again, your audience, right? My email is uh, there's an alias, so you can use bhavani.racingham at utdallas.edu, right? Or you go to the UT Dallas website. So I have a website at UT Dallas that you can get more information uh, about the sort of work we do and our cybersecurity institute. So please feel free to send me an email. And I'm, I really would like to commend the three of you all for starting this, uh, you know, this uh, Teen Techies and the podcast. Uh, for the for and being high school students last year, as I said, exactly almost exactly a year ago, I think it was like August fifth of last year, I did a podcast for these were college students, two girls, uh, college girls, and uh, so they had a podcast, and so you know I participated. <clears throat> it's good that you all are doing it at the high school level. It's really amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah. But yeah, like wrapping up the episode here, thank you so much for um, joining us and recording this episode. I know we learned so much um, and you're so inspiring to the three of us um, being a woman in computer science. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you and wish you all the best, okay? So keep me posted how y'all are doing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you so much. And with that, Team Techies signing off.